Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Thanks again for being with us on this Eastertide Sunday. We are still celebrating the resurrection of Jesus because Christ is risen. It's not past tense, it's current. Christ is risen. He's still risen, and we have much to celebrate. And the question we're asking for the next handful of weeks is, if Christ is risen, and we believe he is, does that impact our lives? And we would hope you would say yes. Join with us in saying the resurrection should shape everything that we do and everything that we believe. We said last week that resurrection is not just an idea in our head. It's not just a belief that we subscribe to, but it's a way of living. That Jesus has invited us to practice something new. That there's this other kingdom called the kingdom of God. And it's the way the world is meant to be. And Jesus in his resurrection has demonstrated that his way is the most powerful way. And all the brokenness and darkness and evil in the world has no power over him. And we get to participate with him in this resurrection life. So we're going to look at some things over the next few weeks that are hopefully practical to our living. And I understand our living is a little bit abnormal right now. Some of us are off of work, out of school. Some of us are working differently. We're trying to teach our kids. We're trying to keep the house functioning. The world is different right now, but I believe that resurrection still speaks to us wherever we're at, whatever our situation, and our hope is that these things will be very practical. In fact, each week at the end of our time together, I'm going to give us homework, things that we can do during the week that will help demonstrate this practice in our life and hopefully help change us and shape us and make us more like Jesus as we follow him in this resurrection life. Today, we're talking about the art of celebration. We're going to talk about what it means to be people who celebrate, and if you're wondering how on earth we could talk about about that in the midst of a world that's broken and scary and people are losing their loved ones and people are losing their job and we're trying to make things seem normal and our money's tight and things are just a little bit out of control, you're not alone. I was wondering whether we should or should not do this, but I think this is perhaps the time when we should most talk about celebration. And I want to invite you to let me try and convince you that this is how we should live this week and the weeks to come. Our text that we read this morning this evening, whatever time it is, this evening was from Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to read just a little bit of it again to you. It said, Be glad in the Lord always. Again, I say, be glad. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then, the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. Be glad always, Paul says. You may have learned it growing up. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Now this command seems a little bit crazy, right? In the midst of all that's going on around us, in the midst of our hurt and pain and all that's broken, how can we possibly rejoice always? One, I don't think Paul would ask us to, despite what he's written here. I think that there are times when lament is necessary, when we ask questions, when we grieve, when we name what hurts, and we sit in our hurt, and we weep and cry. The Bible says, weep with those who weep. So that's, that's allowed, that's necessary, it's a healthy thing, healthy thing that Christians should do. We need to lament and name what is not right in the world. God can handle our hurt. God can handle our pain. God can handle our grief. There is no sorrow there. There is no weakness there. God understands and God meets us in our hurt. God meets us in our pain. He, he's with us in the midst of it. So lament is allowed and necessary and good. 
But at the same time, lament is meant to be a season. It's not meant to be something that defines us. We are supposed to be people of the resurrection. We're Easter people. Christ is alive. God is near, Paul says. And so we're meant to be glad and rejoicing people. But this is not superficial. It's not fake. We're not pretending that all is well. Uh, that, that's not a healthy thing to go. But Paul is trying to point us to a joy and a gladness that is beyond our circumstances. Paul's writing from prison. He's in jail, and he's probably cold and hungry and alone and worried about his future. He's going through some things that are incredibly difficult, yet he still gives us these words. Be glad always, even in the midst of circumstances that are terrible, because in being glad, we will find ourselves strengthened. We will find ourselves renewed. We'll be grateful people. We'll remember that God is, in fact, near. Paul says, be glad always. Our gladness is not determined by our circumstances or our bank account or whether or not things go the way we hoped they would. There's something else behind it, and we know what that is. It's the fact that God is near, that Jesus is risen. The grave has no hold on him. The tomb is empty, and all the things that go with death and sin and the grave and brokenness, they do not have power over Jesus Christ, and Jesus is at work in the world, and the worst things are not the last things. So this is why we're glad. This is why we rejoice, not because everything's perfect, but because God is near and God is at work and Christ is in fact risen from the dead. And so we practice gladness by celebrating, by throwing parties, by being people who bring happiness and joy and laughter to the world around us. I believe our world is desperate for it right now, that we need celebration. And so our homework will be to practice celebrating during the week. Why should we celebrate? Well, because what we do shapes us and forms us and molds us. And if we always look at what's bad and what's broken and we always point out how things are not the way they're supposed to be, then we're going to become hard-hearted. We're going to become misers and grumps and we're always going to be bitter and angry. And that's not a healthy way to live our lives. We want to point out that despite all that stuff, God is with us. God is near. God is on the move. And so we have reason to rejoice. We can become uh, found people and whole people. Paul says we can have a peace that passes all understanding regardless of our circumstance if we can focus on and choose to be glad people who practice celebration. Celebration does a few things that will help us. Uh, the first is it reminds us of the past. It reminds us of where we have been. This is why we celebrate birthdays, why we celebrate anniversaries, why we celebrate graduation. We look back and we think, look how far we have come. Look where we have been. I just saw someone post today that they, had, they were celebrating four years of sobriety and like, look how far I have come. There's a celebration because there are days in sobriety and there are days in faith and there are days in marriage and there are days in child raising when you're wondering what in the world am I doing? Is this really what I want to give my life to? And then we remember and we look back and we see where we have been. Celebration reminds us of how far we have come. God actually commands the Israelites to remember seven different times, seven different festivals and feasts and celebrations every year so they can remember their story in the midst of being oppressed, in the midst of being alone, in the midst of being in the wilderness. They felt the presence of God and they celebrated. Remember when God saved us from Israel or from Egypt. Remember when God showed up. Remember when God has blessed us. And so these celebrations are meant to remind us that we have not gotten here on our own, that God has not forgotten us, that God has been with us all along. It's easy sometimes in the midst of broken and scary and dark times to think we have we have been abandoned and we are alone and to forget what God has done to us. But a celebration 
reminds us. Today, we celebrate that God is with us. It points us backwards to where we have been so we can see how far we have come. It also points us forward to the coming kingdom of God. We believe that one day God is going to make all things new. And throughout the Bible, that's described as a feast, a banquet, a giant party. In Isaiah, Isaiah says, on that day, everybody's going to gather together. Death will be swallowed up and people are going to eat the finest wines eat the finest meats and drink the finest wines and they'll be clapping and singing and dancing and rejoicing because death is dead and we don't have to fight anymore and there's no more war and we just come together to learn and be in the presence of one another and our God and and that celebration is to come. The book of Revelation describes when Jesus shows up as a wedding supper where Jesus comes and there's this giant great big wedding feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb it's called, and, and no one's hungry and no one's left out and no one's afraid, and we get to celebrate and be together. We can, we can stop worrying and we can stop laboring and we can stop fearing and every tear will be wiped away, and that celebration is out there someday. I think that's why Jesus' ministry spent a lot of time with people eating meals and at parties. His first miracle was at a wedding. He was at a feast and people drank all the wine and he gave them more so they could keep on partying. He was constantly with people eating and drinking and being merry and they called him a glutton and a drunkard because he was having such a good time. And I think it was on purpose. I think Jesus was trying to point people to a better day, a better hope that there's something out there that life was meant to be full and peaceful and good. And one day that will become a reality in this world. Jesus says at one point that the kingdom of God is like a banquet. It's a feast and we are all invited, the outcast and those forgotten and those alone and those untouchable. This is who God is for. And so we are reminded of what our past was and we are pointed to look forward to what our future is. And in the moment we experience when we celebrate our burdens lifted, we experience a temporary relief from the hurt, from the pain, from the darkness we, we, we feel our burdens lifted even for a moment when we celebrate. It doesn't make our problems go away. It doesn't solve everything. It's not some miracle cure where if we just eat enough cupcakes, then everything will be fine. But it is a momentary alleviation of pain uh, and, and connection with others. And it brings goodness and wholeness to our lives. We feel ourselves maybe come alive or transformed or renewed. I have a friend's daughter who who passed away tragically at 19 years old and they couldn't have a funeral for her. They haven't had it yet, but they plan to. But a whole bunch of her friends and classmates and coworkers, everybody drove by honking their horns, celebrate. It's in the midst of their grief and hurt. There was a celebration. There was a little bit of goodness in the midst of this big, dark, heavy, awful thing. That's what celebration can do. It can encourage us. It can lift our spirits. It can let us know that we are not alone. When I was in high school, my dad passed away my senior year of high school. And before he died, he was on life support for three days. I think three days. It's been a long. He was on life support for a few days. And while he was on life support, all my friends showed up at the hospital. And we took over the waiting room. And they brought video games. And we ordered pizza. And we had a party. We celebrated in the midst of a hospital. Did it heal my dad? No. Did it take away my grief? Absolutely not. Did it make everything perfect? No, but in those moments, I was reminded I wasn't alone or I wasn't forgotten that I was loved and my spirits were lifted. And for a little bit in the midst of one of the hardest times in my life, things were better. And I was reminded and I was looking forward and I was hopeful and I experienced peace. This is what celebration can do. It is not because things are good that we celebrate. It's precisely because things 
aren't good. God commands his people to celebrate throughout scripture, not because the world is easy and life is good, but because the world is hard and, and, and things are broken and it's often a dark and scary and bitter place. And if we're left to our own devices, if we're out there by ourselves, we're not going to make it. Celebration is a pushback against all that's wrong in our world. It's, it reminds us that we're not in this alone and it brings momentary pause to the hurt and ache we feel. Tony Campolo is a sociologist, and he's preached a whole bunch of churches. He's been a professor, wrote a lot of books. He tells a story. He was in Hawaii for a conference, and his internal clock wasn't adjusted yet. And at 3.30 in the morning, he found them at himself at this greasy spoon diner, and in walked these two ladies who were prostitutes. And they were taught, one was talking about how the next day she was her 39th birthday, and she had never had a birthday party in her entire life. And so Tony, when they left, Tony said to the guy behind the counter, he said, hey, do they come in here every night? And the guy said, yeah, every night, same time. And he said, let's throw her a birthday party tomorrow. And the guy said he'd bake a cake. Tony went and bought party supplies, party hats, party decorations, and the next day they spread word to her friends that worked and lived in the area, and when she showed up at 3.30 in the morning, she walked into the diner and everybody yelled, surprise, and she wept and cried. It was the first time in her life that she had had a birthday cake. She actually took it home to keep it for a little while because she was so overcome by the love and generosity she was shown. And when she left, Tony when she ran home, Tony prayed for the whole place and the guy behind the counter said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And Tony said, the kind of church that throws birthday parties for hookers at 3.30 in the morning. And the guy said, there's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. And wouldn't we all? Don't we all want to be a part of a church that celebrates in the midst of dark and broken and, and things that are not good? And, and God has plans for that woman. He does not want her trapped in that life. And, and he wants her to be restored, but he also wants her to be celebrated in the midst of it and loved and cherished and valued. That's the church that Christ came to create. And I believe that's the church that God dreams of. A church that will bring celebration wherever we are, to diners at 3.30 in the morning, to hospital rooms, to friends whose loved ones pass away, and all we can do is drive by their driveway. The call to celebration is not some naive, stick your head in the sand and pretend everything is okay. It's a proclamation that despite the pain, that despite the world in chaos, despite the mess we find ourselves in, we still have reason to sing. We still have reason to party, to celebrate. We are Easter people. Christ is risen. And if Jesus is alive, then anything is possible. If Jesus is alive, we have hope in the midst of any circumstance. Death and darkness do not have the last word. The worst thing is not the last thing, and Jesus is making all things new. God is near, Paul says. We celebrate in defiance of all that is wrong in the world. We defy the powers of darkness. We fight back against the feelings of defeat. Those things will not win. They will not win today. They will not win when the church of Jesus Christ is on the scene. Not when Jesus is alive. Not when we have been forgiven. Not when we have been set free. Not when God has been faithful to us. And not when God is coming again. It doesn't mean that all is great. But it means that God is 
near. This is what it means to be resurrection people. We are dispensers of joy and hope and gladness to the world. And in a world that is bleak and desperate for good news, in a world that's so divided and hateful and scared, we need to bring celebration. There are so many people carrying heavy and scary burdens when we bring joy and life and light, pointing people to a better day, reminding them that they are not alone, that they matter to us and to a God who loves them, lifting one another's burdens, even if just for a moment. And in the process, we are made new. We are transformed. We are shaped. We become more like Jesus. We are made whole and we experience the peace of God that passes all understanding, that exceeds our circumstances, that brings joy to folks in prison and in grief and in hospitals and wondering what in the world is going on. We have a choice. We have been invited into a resurrection life. We can choose to follow, and part of that following is to bring celebration wherever we go, to sing and clap and dance and cheer and love and shout and hooray and hallelujah, no matter what. Not because the world is perfect, but precisely because it's not. Because the world is a mess, because there's this great big storm around us, we will sing and shout and clap and eat cupcakes and throw confetti. This is the way of Jesus. And we're going to sing about it now. Ryan and Ashley are going to sing Raise a Hallelujah. And the song lyrics go like this. I'm going to sing in the middle of a storm, louder and louder. You're going to hear my praises roar up from the ashes. Hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. We believe that this evening. So I invite you to sing loud, and I invite you to clap, and I invite you to believe, and I invite you to hope. I invite you to celebrate that Christ is risen. And if you're going through times where you can't, when it hurts, when you're grieving, when it's difficult and you don't know which way is up, when you feel like the darkness is closing in, then we're going to celebrate for you, and we're going to sing for you. That's what the church does. We carry one another's burdens, and so if you can't form the words, we're going to sing them on your behalf because death is defeated. And if you can't believe it right now or you can't see it right now, we will believe and we will see it for you. God, I pray that right now you would give us a sense of joy and gladness, that you would speak to our hearts and minds, that you would comfort us in spirit and body, that those of us who have been feeling scared and alone and defeated, and those of us who are carrying much sorrow and pain and shame, that you would remind us that you are alive and those things have no power over you. And because we have given ourselves to you, they have no power over us. God, help us to believe that today. Help us to be changed by that today. Help us to see you are near, that you are at work. Help us to be glad and rejoice, not because life is good, but because you are good. God, we entrust ourselves to you. We entrust our broken and confused and hurting and grieving world. God, would you comfort those who are hurting? Would you bring peace to those who are fearful? God, would you bring courage to those who are afraid? God, would you renew and restore our world? There is so much brokenness. We need your power. We need your healing. And would you give us the courage to go out and be a part of it, to be dispensers of your good news, to celebrate and bring joy and peace and laughter and good news wherever it is we find ourselves. God, help us to be a part of your plan 
to redeem and restore all things. Start the work in us and transform the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.